0: Hi, this is Christian Kuhn of Urban Village Church in Chicago. Thanks for joining the Urban Village Sermon podcast feed. I'm going to be reflecting on part of our sermon series about what it means to be a neighbor. And so before I do that, let's take a look at the passage that we will be reading today. This comes from the Gospel of Luke. It's a story that may be familiar to you. This is Luke 10, verses 25 through 37. Just then a lawyer stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what is written in the law? What do you read there? He answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you've given the right answer. Do this and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers who stripped him, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, while traveling, came near him, and when he saw him, he was moved with pity. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, having poured oil and wine on them. Then he put them, put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, Take care of him, and when I come back, I will repay you whatever more you spend. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. Jesus said to him, Go, and do likewise. May God's blessing be on the living out and reading and hearing of this word. We had, uh, we live in a townhome uh, complex here in the South Loop of Chicago and we had a neighbor gathering about three weeks ago or so. And uh, I was chatting with some of our neighbors and one of whom there was a a woman, um, probably about 20 years older than me or so. And I had never seen her before. And I introduced myself thinking maybe she was new to the townhome area. There are, uh, I would say about 30 units or so in our little uh, townhome area. And introduced myself, said, we've been living here for a little more than 11 years. How about you? And she said, well, my name's Barb. I've been living here for 15 years. And as soon as she said that, I thought, how can it be that (laughs) I live just down the road from this woman? I have never, at least in my memory, have seen her before. And so that got me thinking about neighbors and studies that I have read about how we do or don't know our neighbors. Here are a couple little trivia facts for you. This is uh, the Pew uh, Foundation did some studying about this. So, little, again, bits of trivia. A majority of Americans, so 57%, say they only know some of their neighbors. About 26% say they know most of them. Most of these interactions take place, though, in person. For those who know at least some of their neighbors, they're twice as likely to say they have face to face with them versus email or text. About two-thirds of Americans who know at least some of their neighbors would feel comfortable asking to leave a set of keys with them for emergencies. Among Americans who know at least some of their neighbors, a majority say they never meet them for parties or get-togethers. And then uh, 40% uh, of residents who say they know all or most of their neighbors live in rural settings compared to 24% of urban and 28% of suburban. So I find that really interesting, the kind of the gamut of how do we know our neighbors, which brings the question, one of the main questions of this passage here today that talks about what it means to be a neighbor. The religious lawyer says, who is my neighbor? Even before the pandemic, that was a great question about how well, who who is technically, who is our neighbor and how well do we know them? And now in our Zoom-saturated world, uh, even more that's the case. Who exactly is our neighbor? Is it the person that we literally live close to? Is it somebody now that we know virtually? Well, we're starting a three-part series about what it means to be a neighbor. And it's an appropriate series because uh, actually this Sunday I am preaching, or on the 17th, I'm preaching Uh, out at Urban Village West, which is our newest uh, site, and we are publicly launching this uh, new site. We have been worshiping the last few months. Uh, Even some of our folks have been with this church at River Forest United Methodist for a couple of years, but now is our kind of public... Okay, we are officially now, we are launching. So there might be people who are new to the service, uh, and they'll be asking the question about neighbors... Do I want to be Urban Village's neighbor? And what does that even mean? So it's a good way for us to talk about this topic uh, and to introduce Urban Village perhaps to these uh, new folks in the community too. So the series will be part of this one that we're talking about and asking who is my neighbor? What does it mean to love my neighbor? And then what does it mean to be a neighbor? And so you can go on to the Urban Village Podbean page and read other uh, members of our staff reflecting on these questions. So let's take a look at this passage here. So there is this lawyer, the text tells us, who's really kind of a specialist in religious law. And he asks Jesus this question. First, how do I inherit eternal life? And then he asks, who is my neighbor? So one thing to know here, scholars believe that actually the lawyer is probably trying to trick Jesus. There were strict guidelines in place throughout their society Designating who is their neighbor and how they should be treated how should a Gentile treat a Jew and a Samaritan all these different aspects of these ethno-religious groups how should priests relate to Israelites how should men treat women it was a religious duty to follow all of these guidelines to a T so one scholar went, uh, quotes in saying this actually what is the, uh, the reason what is the motive for the Lord to ask this question says, moreover, when the lawyer asks, who is my neighbor, he is wanting to know how he can spot others who belong to God's covenant people. Because Jews generally excluded Samaritans and foreigners from the category of neighbor, the lawyer's question was basically, who belongs to the category of God's people? So again, scholars aren't sure that the lawyer here really wants to know. The answer Instead, he wants to maybe trick Jesus and trip him up. And so Jesus, as Jesus often does, both he asks the question, turns the question around on the person who's asking, but also Jesus tells a story. And that's what we have here today. This story that many of us know as the good Samaritan of this man being um, robbed, beaten, uh, and then lying along the road. And in many ways, of course, what you may know or may not know about this story is that it is scandalous uh, for a couple of different reasons. One is that uh, Jews and Samaritans did not get along with one another. Uh, the historical roots are a little unclear uh, as to why that is. There's some passages in the Older Testament that, that talk about this. But in Jesus' time, Samaritans and Jews claimed to worship the God of the ancient Hebrews, but each group had its own scriptures, temple, and religious sacrifices. So for this religious lawyer, uh, for Jesus to say that the Samaritan is the one who comes to save the day would have been scandalous. And the second thing that's interesting, too, about this is not only is this scandalous because at first Jesus tells the story. Again, we, we may know it well. First, the uh, the priest coming along and for various reasons, we don't know why might have gone Kept on going. Maybe the the priest was concerned about religious purity laws. Didn't know who this person was, and so on. The Levite comes along, who is another class of the temple culture. Also, if the priest wasn't going to stop, then the Levite sure as heck wasn't going to uh, stop either. Maybe the Levite knew the priest was was continuing to walk by. So again, when Jesus lifts up, it's the Samaritan who stops. And maybe we have no idea if there were other people other than this lawyer, but if there were others gathered. Listening in, you may have heard a couple gasps. Again, because of the tension, the conflict between Samaritans and Jews. So that's one reason that I kind of knew about uh, in the past when reading the story, that for the Samaritan to be the hero uh, would have caused a lot of people to uh, doubt the, exactly who this Jesus is and what's his mission all about. But also, interestingly, one thing that I had failed to see was that Jesus uses the Samaritan as the hero. And this is remarkable too, because just in the chapter before, in chapter 9, there's a Samaritan village who had uh, told Jesus that they didn't want to have him in their village. So this is chapter 9, verses 52 and 53. And Jesus sent messengers ahead of him. On their way, they entered a village of the Samaritans to make ready for him, but they did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. So, the story is remarkable for lots of different reasons. Again, first of all, Samaritans and Jews didn't get along. For the Samaritan to be the hero in a context that Jesus was telling us would have been scandalous. And then, Jesus is making the Samaritan as, as hero, and Jesus had just been rejected by the Samaritans. So, I find this interesting on so many different levels. But one thing I think that we see here is this, that neighbor, in this passage... I don't think is defined by location or class. Instead, neighbor is defined as a person in need. And that might be more expansive than we realize because do you know anyone who's never in some kind of need? Here in the text, we see someone who's in physical need, but every person that we come across, aren't they, have some sort of emotional, spiritual need? And then what does it mean? What would it mean for us to come across whoever it is that we come across and say, this person is my neighbor. How am I going to respond? A scholar named Kenneth Bailey says that the lawyer's question, who is my neighbor, is not answered. Instead, Jesus reflects on the larger question, to whom must I become a neighbor? And the answer is anyone in need. I'm going to show a clip in worship, um, and I'll see if this is also on YouTube somewhere, and I can put this in the Podbean page. When you talk about neighbor, you have to talk, of course, about Mr. Rogers. Mm-hmm. And um, two movies came out about Fred Rogers in the last couple of years. One was a documentary called Won't You Be My Neighbor? And then another one you may have seen, Tom Hanks portrayed Fred Rogers, Mr. Rogers, in A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. And the movie. Uh, takes place uh, or is based in some truth. Uh, there is a, a writer who writes a profile on Mr. Rogers, an uh, article for Esquire. The writer in the movie is named Lloyd Vogel, and the writer is going through some challenging times himself. But the clip I'm going to show from the movie um, shows Mr. Rogers calling this reporter, this, this writer, Lloyd Vogel, for the first time Mr. Rogers catches Lloyd at a bad time. There's kind of slight chaos going on. And so Lloyd wants to schedule a meeting to have a sit-down interview. And Mr. Rogers says, well, there's only one problem. And Lloyd Vogel says, what's that? He says, well, I've got you right now. I'll, let's, let's talk. And so Lloyd Vogel is a little bit taken aback by this. Said, okay. And so he gathers some paper and pen. And he's living in New York uh, and goes out on the stoop to listen And so Mr. Rogers begins to talk a little bit about his philosophy of working with children and being on television. But the thing that Mr. Rogers says is what's important is his ability to focus, his ability to look in the camera and see an individual child. And then he asks this question. He said, do you know what the most important thing to me right now is? He asks the reporter. And Lloyd Vogel says, no, I don't know. And the response is talking on the phone to Lloyd Vogel. And that scene just moved me in so many different ways because it speaks to the attempt of Mr. Rogers to focus on whoever is in front of him. And in a sense, that person is his neighbor. And I think that's what we begin to see in this passage too. I don't know if you noticed in this passage, the priest, the Levite, and the Samaritan all walk by and the exact same phrase Is used when they go by the man who has been robbed. The phrase is when he saw him. So, in a way, the priest and the Levite, and we're guessing here, of course, maybe didn't fully, fully see him. But the Samaritan did. The Samaritan really saw what was going on and acted. This is one of the many things that Jesus was did so well in his, in his ministry. His ability to be interrupted and his ability to focus on whoever it was in front of him at that moment. There's a story of Jesus talking with a rich young ruler in Mark ten twenty one, And it says, Jesus looking at him, loved him. Jesus looking at him, loved him. And we see so many examples of this in in the scriptures of Jesus being able to look at individuals and truly see them and focus on them in that moment. This is, in a sense, a neighbor. This is a person in need. And Jesus was able to focus on this person and say, this person is my neighbor. This is the person that I'm supposed to be listening to, responding to, healing, teaching, whatever. And I think in the end for us, as we ask the question, who is my neighbor? I think it's whoever's in front of us, whether it be living pro- in close physical proximity, somebody on zoom, somebody that we see as we're at the grocery store, somebody on the train, this person that we come across is our neighbor because it's a person I'm guessing 100% of the time, who has some kind of need in their life. Well, as I noted, we are launching this site at Urban Village. And so there will be some new people at Urban Village. There will be some people who have been around Urban Village for a while. And so they're probably tired of us talking about the origins of Urban Village. But um, we started, uh, Trey Halvey, the co-founder and I started in summer of 2009. So that fall of 2009, before we launched worship in March of 2010, we did a lot of what are called one-on-ones. And so we reached out to different people uh, for individual meetings to listen, to get a sense of what it was that that interested them, that drove them, what was the thing that kept them up at night. So there are lots of different ways that we would reach out to different people and different uh, lists that we had of people with organizations that we might have been involved with or recommendations that other people made. So uh, some of you listening know that I was in a fraternity in college and actually worked for the fraternity's national office and so I was able to kind of utilize those connections I had there and ask them to, if they wouldn't mind, sending me the email addresses of people in my fraternity who lived in Chicago. And so I emailed uh, uh, quite a few of them trying to say, hey, uh, I'm I'm a member of the fraternity. You don't know me at all. Uh, I'm new to the city of Chicago, living in the city, that is, and I'm just wanting to uh, learn more as we start this new community. Now, as you would imagine, a good majority of them said, didn't respond or just said, no, thanks. But there were some that actually did and were open to that, which was um, surprising to me. So I'll make a confession here. When you're just starting off and planting a church, you really want you're hopefully filled with the spirit and you have in your mind of what the mission of what this new community is but you also realize if we want to make a go of this we actually need people and so I would tend to occasionally fall into the trap of like only seeing people like this is going to be another person in our community so that we can build this thing to actually make it go and so there was one person that I reached out to who's a member of my fraternity I didn't know him he went to Northwestern His name is Phoenician. Phoenician uh, actually grew up uh, in Chinatown. Both of his parents uh, were Chinese. And uh, so in many ways, we didn't have a lot in common. We were about 20 years apart in age. Uh, He grew up in Chinatown, Chicago. I grew up in small town, Iowa. And so, but he was a person. And so as we were trying to, you know, meet with as many people as possible, that uh, that was a thing. So we met in downtown Chicago at a Barnes and Noble bookstore. There was a coffee shop in this Barnes and Noble and all the tables were filled. And so I was like, and now what are we going to do? And so Phoenician suggested that we just, sometimes there are chairs in the back of the stacks, the book stacks. So we meandered our way through these book stacks, found this little corner with two chairs, or maybe one of us even sat on the floor. I don't remember, but I felt like this is one of the Strangest places I've ever had an individual meeting with somebody. So I started asking Phoenician questions, but it was near the end of the day, and truth be told, my attention wasn't really focused on Phoenician, other than like, this might be another person for our church. This is great. And so I'm listening to a story, and it's a fascinating story, and so I'm listening more and more, and so I'm doing a little bit better job of focusing, still not great. And then all of a sudden, Phoenician was asking me, you know, tell me about this church. And so I started telling a little bit about it. And again, I thought, you know what? We just, we hope that this is just a community where people know that God loves them, which is something to say, like you might say in Sunday school, we've sang the song as kids, Jesus loves me, this I know. And we may say something like that. It's just a a phrase or a belief that I have that's just so taken for granted. I don't find that particularly novel. But I said that to Phoenician and then all of a sudden I look at him and tears started coming down his eyes. And then he started to say how much he needed to hear that and how much... And I was stunned by this. And I thought, you know, maybe what we're doing is a little more powerful than I realized. And in that moment I knew... Phoenician is a person in need. Phoenician's my neighbor. Phoenician is more than just a number or a person who's going to be possibly part of this community at the time I didn't know. It turns out Phoenician did become part of Urban Village uh, in our early years. But it was yet another reminder to me of the need for myself, and I hope that as you listen to this, you might know it too. The reminder that the person who is your neighbor is the person who is right in front of you. And we'll talk later too. Sometimes the danger of seeing the person in front of you means that we sometimes limit our bubbles to only see people who look, believe like us. That's another sermon. But I hope that we are putting ourselves in a position as we go out into the world and we are interacting with different people, recognizing And following the example of Jesus, following the example of the Samaritan, of seeing someone, truly seeing someone in need. Because everybody is in need. Everybody needs to know that God's love is for them. And that's what we have tried so hard for this community of faith to be about. But it's also my hope that we take from this message, that we take from being part of this community, and that we go into the world and we truly see people. And when we do, we know this is my neighbor. And I will not walk by. I will not pass over them. I will not see them as simply something that will help me get what I want. I will see them as God sees them. Someone truly worthy of being loved. Someone in need. And someone that I can help and serve and love ourselves. Amen. Well, friends, thank you for listening today to this uh, message. I will be offering another sermon in a couple of weeks. And so, but again, uh, please go on our other Podbean sermons to listen to uh, our other pastors as they preach on this topic. And so, friends, until the next time, may the peace of Christ be with you.
1: Be thou my wisdom
0: and thou my